0: Welcome to InDefense Humanity. This is Osteris Oz Miller. Today, I am joined by Sam Flagg. is currently in med school at VCOM in Alabama. He is also a very good friend of mine. Nehemiah Johnson had an injury and is currently at the hospital, so he will not be joining us, but Sam Flagg, please introduce yourself.
1: Hey everyone, how's it going? I am uh, Sam Flagg. I'm, like S3 said, a uh, second year medical student at VCOM Auburn. Uh, originally grew up in Atlanta, and uh, I went to undergrad with S3 at Young Harris, so that's how we got connected. Indeed, indeed.
0: And Sam Flagg, you decided to come on the podcast, partly because I continued to pester you about coming on the <laughs> podcast. We talk at least every every two weeks, you know, a fortnightly text or two um, is exchanged. I wanted you to come on so you could speak about a topic that's very near and dear to you, which is nerve entrapment, as well as other topics, but specifically mm-hmm. nerve entrapments. Yeah. And you you told me a bit about nerve entrapment and at the time that I was speaking to you about nerve entrapment, I did some research. We thought what you had was a type of nerve entrapment, but uh, mm-hmm. I've recently found out that it was different. Um, I'll let you take it away so you can tell us about it.
1: It's a big can of worms. I'll try to lay it out as best I can. The whole purpose of me talking about this topic is definitely not for people to hear what I'm saying and hear like, oh, whoa, is Sam Fly, what you know, what has he, what has he been through that's so horrible or whatever. Um, it's really just to bring awareness to people with not only nerve entrapment issues, but any kind of chronic pain or like debilitating conditions that really affect their activities of daily living and, and all that. So um, I guess to start where I would begin with would have to be even before I developed this. And so I've basically I've had some pretty severe back pain, non-specific back pain uh, in the lower back due to a uh, I strained my back working out a long, long time ago. I think it was about four years ago at this point. And so I've just always dealt with back pain throughout college. And, you know, it's kind of waxed and waned. Uh, but for the most part, I've been able to to tolerate it um, and cope with it pretty well. But it's definitely, you know, taken a toll on uh, my ability to, uh, I, I, I don't know, I guess my I would say my, uh, it, it takes a toll on you emotionally to have chronic pain for so long, but I was I felt like I was coping with it fine, if that makes sense. But upon entering medical school, it was kind of a different experience because I was just going to class so much more than I was in undergrad. And so we would go to class about um, starting at 8 a.m. This is before the virus and COVID obviously, Um, but starting at about 8 a.m. until roughly 12 to two, somewhere in that range. And I would sit in these chairs that for some reason just did not agree with my pelvic anatomy for some reason. And um, Mm -hmm. I believe it started off, um, so we started our our school in July of last year. And so I started off doing okay, but as the weeks progressed, I started to develop more and more back pain because sitting would aggravate my back pain. And so what I believe happened was as I sat with this back pain, I tried to, I guess, position and posture myself in a way that would alleviate that to the best of my ability. Um, But unfortunately, I think that was putting uh, unnecessary and unnatural pressure on different parts of my pelvis as I was sitting. And so uh, I would say probably about a month and a half into school, I started to develop this really this gradual burning pain in my, my glutes and lower legs, or upper thighs, I guess, uh, the posterior side of my upper thighs. And uh, I didn't really know what was going on. I just was kind of confused. Uh, and I just noticed that it would be much, much worse when I would sit, right? So when I would sit, it would just build and build and build. Um, and I tried to just kind of ignore it for as long as I could. But it just progressively got worse and worse and worse. Um, so much so to I don't think I saw a doctor for it for about a month, but uh, after about a month of it slowly building and getting worse by the day, um, it got to the point where it was just so incredibly painful uh, that I just could not focus at all on the lectures, whatever the the teacher was speaking about. I just had no idea. I couldn't think straight because the pain was was so intense after just, a, you know, maybe an hour of sitting. Um, and so I realized that I had to go to a doctor and that's what, uh, led me down this whole road of trying to discover what my issue was, uh, because it was actually extremely difficult to diagnose and, and find out. Um, and later I found out it has to do with a lot of, uh, I guess deficiencies in medical education as far as peripheral nerve anatomy goes. Uh, but basically that that's the setup of everything is it it, i developed it from sitting on these chairs um, in medical school for long periods of time listening to lectures and sitting i believe in an awkward posture for for basically from about 8 a.m until 12 or until 2. it was a very gradual thing but uh i think it also stemmed from the back pain you know in a way that it modified my posture does that make sense Mm -hmm.
0: yes Yes, it does. So the, the audience can understand fully. The audience is similar to me. At first, whenever I discovered this, uh, mm-hmm. I had no knowledge of it. So I decided to delve in, skip yeah. WebMD, hopped into JSTOR, into mm-hmm. Galileo, started reading articles yeah. about nerve pain, specifically pedental nerve pain, which is not yeah. the one that you suffer from, I now know. However, going through, I was sort of understanding, but as you know, understanding, like knowledge and belief has, you know, substantiation, but it's, it's not the same thing as comprehending. I'll never comprehend uh, what it's like. So maybe some of the audience who's listening has similar conditions. I Um, hope not,
1: at least. I hope you won't comprehend it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So definitely have an understanding now, not a med student, not a doctor, yeah. but I like to think I have a, a little fraction of the knowledge yeah. that is um, what this is. But as someone who doesn't suffer from chronic pain, you know, every now and again, I have pain. I mm-hmm. can say I've never had a migraine, never had a headache once yeah. my head was hurting. And then I realized it was, it was likely due to the fact that I just run. Um, for the first time in months so it's just extremely um, high pressure high blood pressure going through my head through the small units in the vascular system probably capillaries uh, expanding so nothing severe and certainly nothing long-standing you know how do we define chronic as
1: well (laughs) that's a great question um so well, You mean, like, based on the textbook definition, or, or, or are you getting at something deeper?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, both,
1: both. So what, um, if I may content? like, I, I just wanted to kind of let you on, because there's definitely a lot more that I, I, I could unpack um, for the audience and everything. Yes, uh, please do. But, it. but I will return to your point about the chronic. Uh, and so, essentially, like I was saying, I was, uh, I started searching for doctors. I went to my primary care doctor. Uh, I told him about this. He he didn't really know what was going on. Uh, he started, I'm trying to remember what he, he initially thought it was. Um, he thought it could be uh, some kind of autoimmune disease or something like that. Um, so they did a ton of blood work on me uh, and nothing came back. Uh, there were a lot of, he had a lot of different uh, differentials. Uh, for it, but just nothing seemed to be helping or working. Um, and I went to about four different doctor, or or, let me see, I went to three different primary care doctors for it. Um, and then I eventually went to a neurologist or was it two neuro, one neurologist and two pain medicine doctors, uh, and still couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, and so at this point I'm just so, uh, know i'm going into these doctors and i'm telling them hey i'm just in this absolutely horrible pain Uh, and it had just gotten to the point after about like two months of this uh, and i just could not sit down ever so it wasn't just at at school that i couldn't sit down it was also at home any kind of chair anytime i would sit ever um would and still does i haven't fixed this yet (laughs) but but after sitting for about you know 30 minutes to an hour would just be incredibly painful uh now a lot of that depends on the surface and the position that i'm sitting in some are less painful than others but it is pretty inevitable that if i'm sitting for over about an hour to an hour and a half that the pain is pretty substantial and, and definitely enough to compromise my ability to really uh study the way that some medical students you know, here that, that all medical students should uh, and so i was just at a very low point uh emotionally um just because i had been so drained by uh this weight of pain i guess you could say um for for what seemed like so long at the time uh because i just you know studying became very difficult because i had to either stand up or lie down in my bed and study and that's still like i said still what i'm having to do over a year later um Mm -hmm. crazy that that i've just uh i I don't know i've just had to learn to adapt to that and learn to study more than i've ever studied in my life in very awkward and not uh super productive uh postures like physical postures of studying um but to to continue on about figuring out this diagnosis uh basically I i started doing exactly what you were doing you know i started reading a lot of scientific articles and uh, really thinking, you know, uh, trying to say, well, if my doctors can't figure this out, I have to figure this out. And this is me, uh, you know, three months, two, two, three months into medical school. Like, I have to figure this out for myself because no doctor knows what's going on with me. You know, I'm telling these doctors, I'm in so much pain. The pain is so intense that if I can't get this fixed, I, I'm going to have to drop out of medical school um, or take a leave of absence. Like, it's just so debilitating. Um, And I have no idea what's going on. And so I'm telling them all this. And so I I just I think to myself, well, I have to figure this out, you know. And so I just read a ton about burning sensations and uh, things that cause this fiery pain. And uh, the thing is, in in medical school, one of the first things you learn, like the the different types of pain uh, Mm -hmm. for any physician, when you hear burning, like fiery pain, like the best way I could describe the pain is essentially like I sit, it feels like I'm sitting on like a a campfire, a bonfire or like a, a hot curling iron Mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's extremely fiery and burning. Um, and and just like all the muscles in that area spaz out and just become incredibly tight. Like I've been working out, working them out like nonstop. Uh, so it's Mm -hmm. just very, very (laughs) uncomfortable. But, um, anyway, uh, I started doing this research and, and started to read about nerve entrapment issues. I was like, it has to be some nerve entrapment, and so I started really looking into the anatomy of it. This is all, you know, outside of school. I'm I'm doing all this research on top of my, you know, my medical school work. Then I'm also having to balance the medical school work. Then you know, being a new medical student and adapting to medical school, um, and, and learning all this new information, while also studying in an improper posture. And also, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, looking for my cure, what my diagnosis is. And so it was just incredibly overwhelming. Um, But as I kept reading about these different nerve entrapments, uh, I was just convinced that this had to be what it was. But the thing was, uh, in all the literature, it described all these types of nerve entrapments um, as pretty rare. And so it made sense why none of my doctors could figure out what was going on um Mm -hmm. and so basically i just started doing a ton of really deep research into these different nerves um and the anatomy of these nerves and i literally learned i mean basically all the peripheral nerve anatomy of the pelvis trying to figure out what in the world could be causing this pain um and, and for those who don't know what a peripheral nerve is essentially you have your central nervous system which is uh, composed of the, the brain and the spinal cord that's attached to the, to the brain. Um, and then outside of the, all the little nerves that run throughout the rest of your body are what's called peripheral nerves, a part of the peripheral nervous system. And um, some of these nerves are sensory nerves. And so they're responsible for um, making you feel different types of sensations and, uh, the, the, the issue with nerve pain is it's incredibly intense. Um, most people describe it as very, very intense and also uh, very difficult to treat. Um, so the the neurologist, um, it, it's very hard for neurologists to uh, help people with nerve pain because it's just so. Uh, it, it, we're, we're kind of lacking in our ability to uh, mitigate uh, intense neuropathic pain, um, which I will I'll touch more on later. Uh, but all these doctors, they they couldn't figure out what was going on with me. And so they essentially uh, thought that I was kind of crazy in a way. And so I keep telling them how much horrible pain I'm in. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm going to have to drop out of medical school. If I can't stop this pain, can you give me something to make me feel better? And so uh, it seemed like some of them thought I was drug seeking. Uh, it was just such a, stressful and frustrating time just because i could not figure out what was going on with me i had no idea why i had this horrible pain or what was going on with me i just knew that i just just could not sit without feeling like i was burning <laughs> um, and so basically how i started to um get on the get get on the right path so to say is I, I saw some YouTube videos of surgeries for peripheral nerve uh, issues. And I fell on uh, this YouTube channel of a surgeon out in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada called uh, Dr. Tim Tolstrup. And so I was hearing um, him talk about these uh, people who had been miraculously healed of their pain uh, by this particular type of surgery he does. Um, he has um, spent, I mean, I don't remember exactly how many, but he's done uh, at least two fellowships after he became a general surgeon. Um, So he spent countless years um, in postgrad education um, learning in depth the anatomy of the human body and just has become so um, knowledgeable about the distribution of these peripheral nerves and exactly how they can cause pain and how to fix them. And so I saw these these testimonies videos on youtube about these people who who had these peripheral nerve injuries um a lot similar to mine you know in the pelvis and such that these people were just coming in and just were on the verge of suicide they were in so much pain Mm -hmm. um and he would go in and literally take the nerve out or cut the nerve the the branches of the nerve that were causing the pain and it would just completely eliminate the pain and Mm -hmm. i remember watching those videos and just like really fantasizing my head like wow it's I it would be so incredible if he could do something for me like that but then at the same time I was like this guy's in in Nevada Las Vegas Nevada here I am in Auburn Alabama and I'm a medical student like there's no way I could ever go to see this guy like that this is just impossible um and so I just kept continuing going to all these doctors and no one could help me no <laughs> one could figure out they gave me all these pain medicines and nothing really helped me uh, it, it just was such a, it seemed so hopeless to me. And so I just remember so distinctly uh, after weeks of just going to, because we had to go to class, we had mandatory attendance. And so weeks of going to class and sitting in this chair and just being in so much pain, I, I came home one day and I was just in so much pain from sitting that I just felt so hopeless. I just was like, I just felt like I, I, I couldn't do anything um, I felt like my life was just—I uh, don't know—like I was at a standstill because I was just completely handicapped and unable to sit like a normal human being. Um, and so I remember, in desperation, I just—I uh, called Dr. Tolstrip's office and just—I uh, got a—I got the the voice machine and I just said, you know, I, I'm a medical student in Auburn, Alabama, and I don't know what's going on with me. I think it's related to, to peripheral nerve uh, entrapment, but I am just in so much pain and I can't figure this out and no one can help me. Could you please help me? And uh, I got a call back later and uh, he just, uh, his, his receptionist uh, told me a time that I could uh, talk with him in person over the phone I'm um, completely free and so a little bit later that day, I talked with him on the phone for over an hour and he explained to me, uh, he, he heard my symptoms and he listened to me and he explained to me how, um, uh, it did sound a lot like a peripheral nerve injury. And so he recommended that I came, uh, that I would come to him and, uh, get evaluated by him in person. And so I did that a, a couple weeks into our second block of medical school. <laughs> I flew out during, uh, during school and, uh, met with him for a consultation and after doing about an hour of just nerve testing and uh, history, focus history, he, he said in fact that, yeah, I think this is specifically based on your symptoms. It's either the pudendal nerve that was his primary diagnosis um, or the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve um, was his, his second thought, but he he initially thought it was pudendal nerve Um so that was how I – suddenly it felt like I had answers when I had not had answers in so long. And so that was just such a huge weight off my shoulders was uh, to think I had an idea of what was going on. But uh, essentially what he he told me to do was to go back home and to find a pain med, med doctor that could uh, perform diagnostic nerve blocks. And so basically what that, that is is the uh, the physician – will do an injection, an anesthetic, local anesthetic injection into the, the nerve. And that would, in theory, completely numb the nerve and all the uh, the body uh, that's supplied by that nerve. So uh, basically what the, the goal of the blocks was to do was to, let's say for the pudendal nerve, I had a pudendal nerve block where they injected the anesthetic into the pudendal nerve. So if In fact, my problem was the pudendal nerve. After they did that, and I sat down, I shouldn't have pain for a period of time. And if I didn't have pain, then that was, in fact, the nerve that was causing the issue. Um, And so then I ran into issues with that because it was very hard to find a pain medicine physician or a a anesthesiologist uh, who uh, I guess specialized in interventional uh, anesthesiology. And so eventually I did get into two different um, doctors and had two different prudental nerve blocks, but I don't believe they were performed correctly because I actually didn't feel any uh, numbness whatsoever. It wasn't just that I still felt pain when I would sit, but I just didn't feel any numbness, which means that they must have missed the nerve or something like that. Uh, I don't entirely know why. So that was incredibly frustrating because I couldn't get this this diagnostic block. And so uh, I ended up actually flying out just recently about two months ago. I flew back out to Las Vegas to get the nerve block from the doctor who works, uh, who, who does the nerve blocks for Dr. Tolstrup out there. And she has a ton of experience, Dr. Uh, Virginia Hardy, and she did a wonderful job, uh, but Basically, she did only nerve blocks on my posterior femoral cutaneous nerve because after speaking with Dr. Tolstrup a little bit more about my symptoms and the distribution of my pain, uh, he thought he, he changed his diagnosis a little bit and said, Well, instead of pudendal nerve, it actually sounds a little bit more like posterior femoral cutaneous nerve. And so I had the blocks done for the PFCN, posterior femoral, posterior femoral cutaneous nerve. And um, basically, that pretty much cured me of my pain. I remember sitting after that block and it was just so incredible to sit for the first time. Uh, It just felt really numb, you know, kind of like if you go to the the dentist and um, you have a cavity filled or something and your, your lip gets numb or your cheek gets numb, it's the same, same kind of feeling. Um, And so it was just incredible that I could sit and virtually feel no pain. Uh, They, they slightly miss some of the, the branches of it because, uh, they think that I have some kind of, uh, uh, anatomical anomaly that it's slightly positioned a little bit lateral than, than most is in, in, uh, mm-hmm. in my leg. But regardless, the, the, they, they believe that this, the PFCN is in fact the nerve that's causing the issues. Um, and so his plan is to, uh, basically do a nerectomy and take out that nerve, uh, that's causing the pain because it's purely a sensory nerve um and so he's going to remove it and that should take away in theory should take away the pain completely um and thankfully there the distribution of that nerve actually uh overlaps with other nerves in the in the pelvis and leg so i would still have sensation to that area just not the pain sensation hopefully <laughs> yeah so yeah
0: okay 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 so I had two questions, and one of which were, if this nerve is removed, would that whole section of the body near the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve be numb yeah, yeah. and I'm unable to move? But you said there's an intersection yeah. between other nerves, so that answers that. Um, and then my, my next question, um, since mm-hmm. you have this anomaly, that is suspected Mm -hmm. by the doctors i and i was thinking this the whole time i was like well in all these Mm -hmm. diagnostic practices these all rely on the anatomy that was you know established Mm -hmm. we even have gray's anatomy the like definitive guide to Mm -hmm. undergrad and um professional school anatomy that was started centuries ago um from the the um the exhumation of basically um, newly dead white men Mm. and enslaved women for gynecology so these are the two largest anatomies research Mm -hmm. but these don't cover the whole it doesn't cover intersex individuals it doesn't cover Mm -hmm. um, most people who fall outside the average Um, because now we, we even do research and we see people, and then this sometimes leads to that to that scientific racism. Whenever we used to measure uh, craniums and then say that different people yeah. had different qualities, and then we started using terrible terms. But even now, we're discovering hemoglobins processed differently by people who live in the Himalayas or people whose whose families have long lived in the Himalayas. But to you know, a scientific racist, this proves. Or, you know, in in scare quotes, this proves that they're genetically different from white Europeans. To me, it proves that Mm -hmm. people who could breathe more easily decided to stay producing Mm -hmm. offspring and people who could not breathe more easily went to lower lands. Uh, They still have the same genes. They're just recessive.
1: Sorry, were you going to say something? I didn't mean to cut you off. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's really incredible how, no, no. I mean, kind of like what you're saying about these, these textbooks is it seems like at least to me in medical education um, and just, I mean, a lot of education in general, uh, these textbooks are like what we use as our quote, you know, Bible in a way. Uh, we, we take it as absolute truth. And if it's not in the textbook, you know, because for, for, for example, for our exams, uh, the textbook has the final word on what is correct as far as tests go, test answers go, right? But, you know, I was talking with Dr. Tolstrup about all of this, and he was saying, you know, how the anatomic variation between individuals as far, specifically regards to to nerves, but obviously this applies to pretty much every aspect of anatomy, is so incredibly variable. Um, You know, some people have just completely different anatomy than than others and as far as like exactly where these structures are Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know how many branches or where things are branching or uh how how you know deep or superficial things are in the body um it's completely and you know obviously uh the genetics are a huge factor in that uh but but people definitely i think pigeonhole things down Mm -hmm. to textbooks and like oh well if the textbook doesn't show this uh, then it's it's not like you know we just follow what the textbook says and we don't even consider the possibility of well maybe this person doesn't fit into this cookie cutter textbook that was created um, based on you know like you're saying specific demographics mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm.
0: yeah Yeah, I, because, you know, thinking about your condition right now, um, other people in history, um, and then specifically, times whenever tests are conducted, what some might say is ethical, because, you know, treatment, obviously, I'm talking about Henrietta Lacks, but there are other cases, Tuskegee, um, Airmen, um, you know, a lot of other cases, the... The vast sterilization over America wide of um, minorities and and groups that were deemed undesirable during mm-hmm. our our dark history of eugenics in the U.S. Um, you know, so we we established some new forms of anatomy, mm-hmm. but certainly the analogs were not voluntary mm-hmm. um, subjects in most cases. Uh, they were they were people who were deemed as you know other as subaltern, so they don't have a say in their own autonomy because they're not rational beings. But equally so, we have individuals who are vastly underrepresented in our um, genetic logs, in our um, studies of anatomy of blood types, which is why uh, be the matches. Such a big thing. Um, But some people have some proclivities about what actually happens to your DNA if they never match it. Is it being sold or whatnot? But indigenous populations across the world, um, differing African groups, um, differing European groups, Eurasian groups um, are underrepresented in the US. This melting pot, because we just use the analog and say, well, if it doesn't work for Mm -hmm. the individual, then we'll. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it for them but this works for the majority so mm-hmm. you know just just focus as you were saying just focus on the majority and if a problem arises then we'll handle it then you know i'm more of a, a pragmatist to where i'm like okay that kind of works but also i want someone to be able to not make wide sweeping assumptions but to be able to think critically to mm-hmm. think courageously Absolutely in spite of the textbooks. That's such a good point. you know before the situation. Another
1: arrives. thing that I mean kind of goes off what you're saying. I mean I I fully believe that that God has a purpose in everything that he does and so I believe you know I've I've done a lot of thinking throughout my time with this condition um you know why would God allow this to happen to me? Why would he place this burden of pain on me? You know, he he knows what um uh, you know, what I have to do on a daily basis. He understands the stress I'm under, uh, the enormous amount of, of work I have to do in, in medical school. Um, and, and how much strain this chronic ca- pain condition puts on me with, with doing that. And I, I firmly believe that one of the biggest lessons that God is trying to teach me through all this is, um, incredible empathy, uh, that I can hopefully someday, uh, really share with my patients. Um, but just the fact of now that I have experienced chronic pain on like a, a, another level than I ever thought I would, um, I really see, and I understand a lot of things uh, about people with other chronic pain conditions. You know, it it doesn't have to be limited to this very rare, you know, neurologic entrapment problem. It literally could be any type of thing, anything from, from Crohn's disease to like multiple sclerosis or, you know, any kind of, uh, slow progressive cancer or just any type of thing, you know, that would, would cause people to be in chronic pain, you know, psoriasis or, or, or whatever it might be chronic conditions. And to get back to what you asked me earlier and <laughs> to finally answer your question um, about chronic, uh, you know, chronic mm-hmm. by, by mm-hmm. definition, okay. you know, it okay. depends on what specific pathology we're talking about, but, uh, by definition is just like a longstanding, uh, constant and kind of unwavering pain uh, or, or, or condition, whatever, you know, you could have a chronic cough, right? So the the cough just does not seem to go away Um, rather than, you know, in contrast to something that's quote acute, which would be something that arises and uh, arises quickly and presumably ends quickly as well. Um, That would be acute. But um, the idea of, of chronic pain is, is particularly uh, I'm, I'm particularly passionate about because of this circumstance that I've had with it. And so now I think a lot of when I see people, I see them in a different way uh, because I really don't know what they're going through. You know, for, for me, a lot of people had no idea because I just didn't want to talk to people a lot about it. You know, I didn't I, di- I didn't really know how to tell people, you know, I'm in so much pain. I just feel like I'm sitting on a bonfire whenever I'm in class. You know, it's, it's not something you just want to, like, spread to the world. Um, unless you're specifically prodded. Um, and so I think mm-hmm. you know a lot of people who a lot of people in society would would see as lazy or um, you know, I guess unmotivated, people with chronic pain conditions, which are are rampant in the us, especially with the rates of obesity, yeah. you know, and alcohol abuse and drug abuse and all these different things, these lead to chronic pain conditions that just absolutely take an enormous toll on the emotional and spiritual health of individuals. And that's something that I think people really don't, unless you have had personal experience mm-hmm. with chronic pain, um, you really don't know or, or, or can't fully grasp it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's such a huge factor that I don't think is talked about nearly enough. And so if there's anything I can really uh, bring light of. And if there's a take home point for this entire talk uh, would be just to I, I want to emphasize the how how mindful we have to be of the way chronic pain conditions affect the, the mental and emotional health of people who, who deal with those and suffer those. So, you know, let's say, uh-huh. for example, um, someone who's who's homeless and without insurance, you know, and they suffer with some kind of chronic pain condition that they can't seem to treat and they don't have a support network or, um you know, no one seems to care about them because, well, they, uh you know, they did it to themselves because they, they did drugs for this long. So they caused the chronic pain condition. So uh, they can't hold down a job. This is their fault. You know, instead of, uh, I guess, holding this, this cover of blame on them. And I'm not, I'm not nice. saying don't, don't have accountability for people, but we have to really, you know, be gracious to others and and realize that everyone, you know, it sounds cliche, but everyone makes mistakes, obviously. Um, And we have to truly get behind these types of people and support them. Mm -hmm. um, Not only physically as a doctor, as I I hope to do someday, but actually at, at a very, you know, emotional level, because it just is so incredibly taxing and draining to wake up with pain and go through everyday life with pain constantly. Um, it affects every aspect of your life. You know, you can't sit, let's say for, for my example, you can't sit normally so that uh, it makes it hard for you to, to drive somewhere, right? Or it makes you, you can't eat out with friends because you can't really explain to them that you hate sitting in those hard chairs uh, at, at Willie's or whatever. Um, and you just can't do things, you know, let's say you have back pain. Let's say someone has, has herniated their disc or something like that. Um, and they can't bend over and uh, do yard work. And so their yard gets really messy, right? And then the entire entire neighborhood's like, oh, that, their yard looks so horrible. They're such slobs. When in reality, they're just really, you know, physically handicapped. And so uh, I would just encourage people to really um, – Try to approach everyone with grace because you really don't know what is going on behind the scenes uh, with with I mean ninety nine percent of people whether that be you know chronic physical pain or even emotional pain you know uh, not related to physical uh, uh, I guess a physical root so like you know something like depression or anxiety I can only imagine how much that wears on people um, and, and and just you know people who don't deal with that on a daily basis. Mm-hmm they can't fully empathize with that. And it's just something that I think, particularly with me, whenever I, I have talked with other people who have experienced chronic pain conditions, um, it has just been so therapeutic to just have someone who can connect with me and really and truly understand and listen to me. Uh, just, uh, I mean, there's there's not really anything else like it. And so for for us to you don't have to have that to empathize with someone now to fully experience you, you, I do believe you have to have had these experiences to fully grasp it, as you were saying earlier, but to have empathy, you know, at least a foundational level of empathy, all you have to do is really try to put yourself in that person's shoes and say, you know, Oh my gosh, what is it like to live with, with this condition or or whatever that may be. And when you can do that and when you can, I guess, uh, convey that to the person who is, who's experiencing said condition, it is such a, uh, I can't really think of the word, but it's incredibly motivating and um, it's just so incredibly helpful. I can't really think of a better word to put it, but uh, I would just encourage others to really look for, Um, ways that you can reach out and and get vulnerable with people uh, who are experiencing these kinds of issues because you have no idea how much you can do for them by just trying to empathize and uh, uh, tell them that you care about their pain. You know, a lot of people just need to know that you care that they're going through chronic physical pain or chronic emotional pain or anxiety. Like people just need to know that people care about them. You know, it's not just every man for themselves out there, if that makes sense.
0: You know, as in defense of humanity, um, it is my job to sort of make people think while we're discussing matters that are personal to us. Um, yeah. Obviously, I do appreciate you for sharing your story. Mm. And, you know, as a Christian, yeah. you are um, not myself, but we, we've discussed this many times. Um, you you asked the question. Um, why would God do something like this? Obviously, um, before. Um, and then I think of, you know, Aquinas with evil, good. We we discussed this, I think, was it three years ago now? We discussed something about Aquinas Summa Theologica and C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. with uh, his book, The Problem of Pain, says that. And then, you know, a lot of philosophical mm-hmm. terms. Like, these things don't happen because of God, but the the opposite of because. So, like, through effect of God or through the non-effect of God or not, these things don't happen within the world of God, but without the world of God. So pain and sin and darkness are not things created by God, but they are things that are a part of the... Mm-hmm the universe, we can mm-hmm. think of them like dark matter. They're the things that exist without God. So it doesn't rely on belief according to these uh, Aquinian ways of thinking. So it doesn't matter how good of a believer you are, or how not good of a believer you are, like from the very bottom, mm-hmm. uh, in the beginning there was, you know, the word Logos, but also the breath of. So mm-hmm. God, um, the nephesh. Mm-hmm the breath of life, the Ruach, the Neshama, um, from God, was breathed mm-hmm. into basically the dirt which represents our flesh, which is of the world. So mm-hmm. the soul, the Nefesh, that which is nominal, outside of us, is the thing that tethers us to the Holy Host, the, the God of um, mm-hmm. the Bible, the, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. And as the soul is the thing that tethers us, the very essence of God through the breath. It is the thing that allows us to reify God to, to have um, goodness because, you know, in thought goodness is just the opposition of evil. So you don't have to be the best person, right? You just have to not be an evil person. And likewise, you don't have to be an evil person to have pain. The pain is a consequence of the flesh in order to live a life that tempers the soul, because as the Bible says, right, as both the Hebrew and the New Testament of Septuagint say, the the you are not the soul fit for heaven. The soul fit for heaven does not have memory, does not have the flesh. You don't have your body in the host of heaven. The soul fit for heaven is something that has been tempered by the works, by, by the influence of the flesh. And the soul is something that that perseveres mm-hmm. that transcends the sin of the flesh as such the pain is what happens whenever the flesh is breaking mm-hmm. down around that immortal thing known as our soul so the pain you know according to this this thought process that I'm working with right now the pain mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. a natural fact of a soul living in flesh something that is mortal um, tethered, a dyad with something that is immortal so the soul will um, if good fortune is upon you, good works what have you, whatever your specific beliefs are, allows that soul to go to heaven or if you believe in hell, allows that soul which is fit for hell to exist in hell the soul must be tempered by the pain of the mortal coil mm-hmm. um, thus the pain is not because of God it is for the fact that the flesh mm-hmm. is just the, the vessel that holds the essence of God. The body is irrelevant um, in, in Christian theology. The body is truly um, nothing more than a container for the liquid, mm-hmm. the, the, the essence, mm-hmm. the firmament of life, which is God.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's so...
0: It's just a thought.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. It's true. Because you know, oftentimes I think we get caught up in things like, uh, at least I know I did in my experience. Uh, we get caught up in, um, you know, how, how, how could God let this happen? I mean, and so many questions I had, you know, and, and the thing about pain too, that makes it particularly difficult with these issues is it really clouds your objectivity. And so you're sitting there and you're just in so much pain and you want to think objective, obviously, you, you want to see the situation for what it is, but um, pain, you know, really and truly messes with your brain um, in, in a way that you can't fully think in a way that you would without it. And so that's another, you know, your, your emotions and, and your every thought is filtered through this pain. Um, and so it makes it really frustrating. But another thing that I think... Um, a lot of people get caught up with, with pain and something that I've also learned uh, that's, I guess, a little bit more on a philosophical level of, 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 of a way of viewing pain is I remember uh, oftentimes, you know, people like to compare others to other people's pains or other people's situations. Well, that's worse than mine or that's not as bad as mine. You know, it's not even that bad, you know, um, that I found myself doing that a lot. You know, oh woe is me. Look at my situations so horrible. You know how look how hard this is for me. Like, oh, you think that's hard? You know, look at what I'm having to do. You know, and as I started to think and, and mature in my understanding of pain, <laughs> I think that I started to realize, you know, when when we get down to the nitty gritty and start comparing pain, pain in its essence is really so subjective, and even at a, a physical and scientific level we even learned about it in school. It's incredibly interesting. Your literally your past experiences and memories have a modulatory effect as in they, they literally regulate your level of pain. So let's say someone um, who is, who is abused as a child, right? Someone is abused as a child. And that's especially in a time when their brain and their nervous system is very uh, dynamic and very, uh, there's a lot of changes going on in the wiring of their nervous system and the way they think and uh, the the chemicals that their, their brain releases, the neurotransmitters, the hormones. Um, Particularly with people who have gone through traumatic experiences, whether that be pain or emotional, something like, uh, you know, or or both, you know, something like uh, child abuse. uh, They are literally, they're, 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 pain systems, the the systems that allow for pain to be transmitted through your spinal cord and into your brain um, and and so forth and throughout the peripheral nerves are being forever altered um, by those events in in your life. So quite literally, my pain is completely subjective to me. No one can ever feel my pain because it's a a combination. It's a uh, a summation of all the experiences in my life um, that have Caused a physical change in my nervous system, and so, but but not only in the physical sense is my pain subjective. Mm-hmm. My uh, the the way I handle pain is very subjective. So, I believe that pain for for a lot of people, um, I was talking about this the other day with my girlfriend is how pain is in, it can be so subjective in that someone can be, uh, I guess hyper uh, sensitive to pain, but not be overly dramatic. Those are com- two completely separate things. Uh, they can be uh-huh. correlated, but they're not the same. So let's say, for example, um, you know, pain mm. threshold, right, is very different. So, for example, my, I'm, I'm going to brag on my wonderful mother for a second. She um, gave birth to me without any pain medications just because uh, she's she's an absolute tank, (laughs) but she, you know, she had to raise me, someone as stubborn as me, but she also, her physiologically, her pain tolerance is incredibly high. Right. So something that, that would hurt a normal person just really doesn't hurt her very much. And that's not just because, you know, we have these, these words that we throw around so often in, in normal society, like, you know, tough or, uh, she's just, you know, taking it like a man or whatever. Right. Uh, it's all all these things, and in reality, it's just like a physiological difference. You know, her her pain tolerance is set at so much higher that it takes that much more right. to 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 reach the, that threshold to where she's like, oh my gosh, this is not comfortable, right? So so everyone who has a low pain tolerance is not what you know, not necessarily <laughs> what society would deem quote a wussy. You know, it's not overly dramatic. Overly sensitive and overly dramatic are not the same things, is what I'm getting at, and and I think right. a lot of the time we conflate those two things. So when someone, you know, let's say uh, receives a shot, you know, and let's this is of course under this hypothetical, this person doesn't have a type of phobia or whatever, right? But they receive a shot and they're like, "Ow, that really hurts," you know. In society, it's it's uh, it's incredibly common for people to be like, "Oh my gosh," you know, "you're such a drama queen" or whatever, right? And that's just so. You know, again, that's us subtly comparing our pain to someone else's. It's like, oh, well, when I had a shot, it didn't hurt me that bad or at least enough for me to say anything about it. So they must just be, you know, they just must be too soft. They're too sensitive. When in reality, it could just be a physiologic lower pain tolerance to, to something, you know, so that if. I think people understand what I'm getting at because I I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I think it's just so important that we recognize that not everyone who is, I guess, quote, uh, reacting to pain is overly dramatic to pain. Now, let's say this. Let's say, uh, hypothetically, Mm -hmm. I have the same level of pain tolerance to someone uh, else. Like my my threshold is exactly the same as someone else, and we get the exact same thing done to us that causes pain, but they choose to react in a very... um, just extremely excessive way, right? An excessive being deemed excessive by, uh, I guess, social norms, right? They're like, oh my gosh, it's so bad, ah, you know. <laughs> um, that would be what I would classify as, uh, I guess, overhyping the pain. But again, th- when we get down to that, it's also subjective because it depends on someone's situation. So, let someone's, uh, let's say, someone who. Uh, okay. For, for, for example, this podcast, someone who's, uh, doesn't have very much stress that their, their finances are in check. Uh, they have a stable job and they are, you know, they're, they they have a, they have a family, a great support system and everything is going, you know, so smoothly in their life and they experience a particular pain. And, uh, then there's another person that experiences the exact same pain and has the exact same pain threshold. Um, uh, but their circumstances in life are completely different. Let's say they're struggling financially. Uh, They have a child who has, uh, I guess, walked out on them or disowned Mm -hmm. them as parents. Right. Or uh, their mother is struggling with cancer Mm -hmm. or uh, I guess they, they're, they're struggling with infidelity issues with their spouse or something like, like that, you know Uh, they're struggling with um, you know, drug abuse habits, all these types of things. And then at the same, all of a sudden someone who has the exact same pain and the exact same pain threshold, that pain affects them so much more just based on their subjective personal circumstance, even though physiologically it's the same. But, but again, what I'm getting at in saying all this and drawing out all these hypotheticals is really to emphasize the fact of just how futile it is to compare pains and try to, Be like, this is better than that. This is worse than that. And, well, they're just not tough and I'm tough or I'm just so not tough and they're tough. You know, it's completely subjective. And the important part, I believe, the the importance in pain uh, or uh, the importance in how to handle pain doesn't lie in comparing how you handle it compared to others. But in fact, how you grow from the pain experience. Um, because I believe that's something that is, uh, that that is yeah. almost demanded in any uh, mature person uh, to take some learning experience from pain, just as you would any particular situation. That there has to be a learning experience in pain, whether that be uh, how do you cope with things when things are hard, how do you cope, or. Um, you know, how do you learn empathy from this pain? You know, there are so many lessons we learn from pain and uh, bad mm. situations in life. Uh, I think that it's so important that we search for those in the midst of our pain.
0: Okay. Well, that was, um, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Sam, is there anything else you would like to tell the audience um, I know you're busy. I know you have to get back to studying, so I don't want to hold you too long. I'm
1: trying to think um, if there's, but is
0: there anything else you would like to cover?
1: Uh, I guess the, uh, if I could make some last remarks, I guess I would just say, uh, if there's anyone out there who, uh, is experiencing mm-hmm. any kind of, of chronic pain or any kind of chronic emotional or physical pain or, uh, feelings of abandonment or whatever that may be. Right. Um, just to know that you are not alone. It's, you know, again, I'm, I'm saying cliches here, uh, but I want people to really hear this and take this to heart. Uh, that th- There are people that do care and um, it is so incredibly important that you be vulnerable with people who care about you. Right. And to, to uh, by that same token, it's important for people who, who uh, for all of us to, care about others in the way that we want people to be vulnerable to us. Right. So, um, me as a practicing physician, uh, as of now, if I could choose a particular specialty, I would like to go into pain management so that I can, uh, on a daily basis, help people who experience chronic pain conditions. Right. Um, because I believe that's just such a, it's so easy because empathy, you know, the, the idea of empathy and what it is truly, you know, at its core is just, being able to put yourself in another person's shoes and truly feel what they are feeling and see what they're saying. Right. And so it's a very lost art, I believe in our society um, and in our country today, people don't want to be empathetic. And uh, you know, I've seen this a lot with my particular condition um, in my own experiences, you know, people really don't want to be empathetic. People just kind of want to skip over other people's problems. And it's understandable. You know, people don't want to feel other people's pain because it is, in a way, inflicting pain upon themselves. You know, most people aren't sadists and actually enjoy pain being inflicted on them. So if they have a choice whether to experience someone's pain or not, they're probably going to opt for, for the latter. Right. They, they don't want that pain. But I would just encourage, you know, um, you know particularly, you know, if you're a Christian You know, it says in the Bible, you know, to bear each other's burdens. But but not only, you know, regardless of whatever religious view you ascribe to, I think it's just so important that, you know, as humans, uh, it's just so important to really try to be empathetic and experience what other people are experiencing, Um, because I believe that is one of the, the major qualities that makes us humans is our ability to empathize with others And put ourselves in in other people's shoes. Um, And when we do that, we have the ability to really uh, break through a lot of barriers and and help people that really have not felt helped or have not felt uh, like they mattered. You know, a lot of the times, just the act of empathy and seeing like when you are in pain. So, for example, myself, when I'm in pain and when I see someone who truly empathizes with that pain, it is such a therapeutic thing, because I realize that they care enough about me to put themselves in a position to hold my pain for a second, Mm. if that makes sense. You know, they are willingly bearing that pain with me, even if it's just for a second. That is such a act of grace and respect towards another human. I really don't believe there's anything more, uh, you know, at least on a practical level uh, you know everyday practical level you can do for for people who undergo these types of issues then just ask ask them how they're doing you know and when they say i'm okay or I'm, I'm i'm making it you know try to really prod and say you know are you really doing okay you know tell me what's really going on with you um you know and especially i think it there's <laughs> yeah. it's some kind of uh, you know mental health awareness month right or some some kind of mental health awareness day we're close to. Um, But especially with mental Uh health, you know, it's so easy for us, you know, it's normal in our society to say, you know, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing great. All right. See you later. And that's become the norm in our society. And that's really tragic to me because it's so unintentional and superficial forms of communication and relationships. um, When in reality, I think, the real way to, to cause change, you know, at an individual level and throughout this country is to really try to empathize with, with other people and work to, I guess, uh, I guess, improve other people's quality of lives. And at the same time, that, that should also enhance your quality of life. But again, I I don't want to be preaching at anyone or, or ranting per se. I just, really wanted to bring awareness to this particular topic, because I personally was not aware, you know, I I personally was really ignorant. And um, I just think it's so important for us to really be a support system for those who don't have support systems, Um, because that's just so, so incredibly common in our country at this time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I fully agree with you about the support system. Anyone who's listening, who, who needs to contact someone, I'm here. I was recently, um, last week, by one of my friends on Facebook, um, I was added to a, a group which is loosely associated with AA. Uh, me personally, never taken a sip of alcohol in my life, no, no drugs, um, but I decided to enter the group um, just to like raise the group numbers. Um, send some messages of support because even though, like like with your chronic pain, I have no mm-hmm. personal, let's say, dog in the fight. I I still don't want to see anyone um, suffer with any condition that can mm-hmm. be ameliorated through support. Um, and chronic nerve pain can't be mm-hmm. solved through simply support, but of course, it it plays a role. You know, keeping up the morale is is a great way to help uh, recover from any condition. Um, that all being said, Sam, um, you're a, you're an incredible guy, uh, a friend, med student, soon to be doctored. Do you, is there any way if someone wants to speak to you about nerve pain or get into contact with your physicians or learn more about Vcom, is there any way that an audience member can contact you
1: yeah absolutely yeah um, if you would like you can please feel free to email me anytime um, or i can also leave my phone number i really don't care you know whatever you would whatever way you would like to communicate with me please reach out and know that um, i care and that i would love to be a, a support you know a piece of your support group that can help you in some way, you know, whatever way that, that I could, I would love to help anyone out there who is experiencing any kind of chronic condition, whether that be mental, um, or physical pain. Uh, so my, uh, email is S flag F L a G G at auburn.vcom V C O M dot E D U. And I would absolutely love to help you in any way that I can.
0: Perfect. Uh, once again, Sam, thank you for being on here. Thank you for for bringing us all the information and for the personal aspect of this podcast. I do believe this is going to be the most popular podcast In Defense of Humanity has ever produced. So yeah, once again, I appreciate you. We're going to allow you to go back and uh, study, but I have no doubt we'll talk again soon and Maybe once you're free again, you could be yeah. back on the podcast and your mic could be here but until then
1: um, Thank you so much. I very much appreciate it Thank you for having me on.